Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. that you need to have kind of some sugar in your body and uh, to kind of be alert and awake. So glad that we're, we're able to gather this morning and study God's word. And that's exactly what we're going to do in this time is, is we view all of what we do on Sunday morning is worshiping the Father. So we worship through prayer, we worship through singing songs, and we worship through the reading of God's word. It is a form of worship to study and break it down and see what he has for us so we can take the truth to heart and then worship him through that. Does that sound good with everyone in the room? All right, this half sounds good. Maybe this half, I don't know. We'll we'll get to going. But uh, I hope everyone enjoyed the beautiful weekend this weekend. Did anyone do anything exciting? Anyone? No one, nothing exciting. Steven's car broke, so that's super fun. Um, I know some people in the room went hiking. um, So maybe you guys did something like that. Maybe you just sat in a window and enjoyed the sunshine. That's how I enjoyed it. You know, I'm not the most outdoorsy person, so I took in some sun that way. So hope you enjoyed the beautiful weather and it looks like we're gonna have a sort of another kind of nicer day today. With Montreal, it could always rain at any second. So just always be ready for that. But glad to be in here. And like Graham said, continuing in our John series titled, I am with the thought who Jesus says he is. Um, And obviously, we're in the Gospel of John. If you don't know where that is, you can look at the concordance in the front of the Bible, or you can just flip. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John in the New Testament. Um, we'll be in John chapter three today, so you can go ahead and turn there. It'll be on the screen if you want. And then also we have Bibles in the back. You can take one, you can have it, that's yours. Um, and so we're just gonna be in John three. So I'll let you be able to get there. And as we kind of look at an overview of what we've been talking about this series, if you missed the first week when Graham preached, um, we were talking about how the book of John gives us an in-depth view of the many claims that Jesus made about himself. We want to walk away with a well-rounded understanding and view of who Jesus truly is. Um, And we remember that this gospel of John was not written by John the Baptist, but instead John, the disciple of Jesus. Just a quick reminder, sometimes I forget that too. Um, And I I like to think of the illustration that Graham gave when he preached that first week of the mosaic. Does anyone remember the picture mosaic that Graham showed? Does anyone, who who was the picture? It was Obama, thank you, golly. This is only gonna work if you actually answer me. So I'm gonna stand here until someone answers me. So it was a picture of Obama made up of a bunch of little smaller pictures. Um, And so like with the idea of that was that through the gospel of John, all these, all Jesus's signs, miracles and statements he makes in each chapter are the smaller pictures that make up the larger picture we can stand back and see of who Jesus truly is. So keep that in mind today as we break down one of the smaller pictures in John chapter three. So if you're there, The idea that we're talking about today, we're we're talking about the many titles of who Jesus says he is. The title we're looking for today is Jesus is Savior. So write that down. And then as we read it and talk about it, be looking for it. And then when you see it or hear it, you could even be like, bingo, 
you know, like you got the bingo for the day and I'll, I'll give you maybe some chocolate. I don't know. But just be looking for that phrase today as we read the title that Jesus is Savior. And like Graham said, John 3, particularly verse 16, is a very well-known and quoted scripture. And I encourage you today to press in on rely on the Lord to teach you just a new refreshing reminder of this truth. Because so often I can hear these scriptures and just kind of let it go to the back of my brain because I've heard it so often. But I encourage you to rest in the beauty of the statements that Jesus makes in this chapter. So I'm just gonna read verses one through eight and then we're gonna break it down and explain it pretty much verse by verse. So if everyone's there and ready to go, say, ready to go. Ready to go, all right, there we go. All right, so starting in chapter three, verse one, it says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we know that God has sent you to teach us your, to teach us your miraculous signs or evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. How do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. Humans can reduce only human life, reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you hear the wind but can't tell where or when it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So we're just gonna take it verse by verse and look at like why Jesus is making these statements, why he's saying these things and how it leads to this picture of how Jesus is about to just blow Nicodemus's mind. So starting in verse one, just simply says, there was a man named Nicodemus and he was a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee. So simply we get from that, that Nicodemus was religious, educated and influential in the Jesus world. He was a pretty big deal. Many people probably knew who he was, knew his name, knew his responsibilities. And they probably thought Nicodemus was kind of the best of the best. You know, you see that guy and you're like, oh, he's the best of the best. He's like one of the Jews above all Jews. He's pretty holy. He teaches it well. He's great. He's got it all figured out. And what we look and then we see in verse one and verse two, it says Nicodemus came to Jesus. And it says, particularly, it says Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. So we can look at that and try to like infer a few things. Maybe Nicodemus came by night because he was shy. I like to think of, you know, shy guy, Nicodemus, like, oh, hey, Jesus. Like, I don't know, maybe that. Uh, maybe Jesus came by night because he didn't want the other leaders to know. Um, if you didn't know, most of the other Jewish leaders kind of hated Jesus because he spoke against kind of the things they did. So maybe he didn't want the other people to know that he was coming to this guy that they said was blasphemous. So he came to Jesus by night. Or maybe he just wanted an uninterrupted, complete conversation with Jesus. And so whatever it was, we know that by the scripture, Nicodemus approaches Jesus for answers. And in verse two, Nicodemus looks at Jesus and he calls him rabbi. And we know that word is, is a word used in the, in the time of like, it's a Jewish teacher. So simply he looks at Jesus and he's like, rabbi, you are an approved religious Jewish teacher. I, I recognize you as that. 
And that's all he says. He just says, Rabbi. He doesn't say, Jesus calls himself the son of man often and the son of God. He doesn't approach him as that. He says, Rabbi, you're a teacher. I have a question for you, teacher. Nicodemus probably thought Jesus was simply only a good teacher and not the son of God and savior. But Jesus was about to flip everything that Nicodemus believed upside down. Jesus is about to get at the heart of a guy who thinks he maybe has it all figured out. And maybe that's you. Like me, oftentimes I think I've got life pretty figured out. And the beauty of Jesus and his word is that it gets straight to our heart. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes we don't know how to respond, but I want us to just see what the Lord has for us this morning. So Nicodemus approaches Jesus. He says, Rabbi, I know you're a good teacher. You do these good things. And maybe he's about to ask him a question of what we should do about this or what we should do about this. And Jesus knows Nicodemus' heart and immediately just, it feels like out of nowhere. In verse three, Jesus looks at him and says, unless you were born of the spirit, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the first thing Jesus says to Nicodemus after he simply came up to him and said, hey, rabbi, can you imagine like if you came up to Graham and it was like, hey, Graham, you're teaching this morning. He's like, you cannot unless you were born again. You'd be like, whoa, hey, whoa. Like, I just had a simple question for you, man. Like, you're just freaking me out. And so Jesus knows this guy's heart. And he says, I am gonna bring you closer to me. I'm gonna bring you a new understanding of who I am. And so the first thing straight to the point, Jesus is like, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And I think Nicodemus is kind of pressed. He's kind of upset as one would be. That's kind of a shocking statement. And he goes into saying in the verse, he's like, well, hey, how can you do that? Um, I don't know if you know anything about biology and stuff, but I don't know if I can just crawl back to a place I came from. We're not gonna get into that. That's kind of gross, Jesus. I don't wanna explain that, but how do I do it if I'm supposed to? And, 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 and I think he's trying to process it. And Jesus is like, no, 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 okay. Let me, let me say it another way to you. Verse five, Jesus says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. So then he starts to break down a little bit more of what he's trying to get Nicodemus to understand. I want us to look at um, the first part. He says being born of water. And I want to give a few ideas of what people think that means in scripture. We're not 100% sure, but I'm gonna share a few well-known thoughts in that and um, kind of what we think Jesus is meaning by that water. But we know that by, when we read verse 10 later in John chapter three, we know that whatever Jesus means here, it should have been familiar to Nicodemus in the Old Testament. Because Jesus later, he's like, you should know these things. You're a teacher of the law. You should know these things. These are common to you. You understand them. So whatever it means, Nicodemus would understand it. So some people have thought that being born of water means to be baptized like we do here at Renaissance Church. Water here may represent baptism, but there's no super strong Old Testament foundation in this. Some people thought that maybe born of water refers to a physical birth since we come from like a sack of water, there's some biology in that, but that might be attractive, but also kind of states the obvious. Some people think that born of water means to be born again by the word of God and other passages of scripture, like Ephesians 5, 26, water represents the word. And it says, as we are washed by the water of the word. 
Some people think that being born of water means to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, like it talks in John 7, 38, when it talks about the living water. But a lot of people kind of come to this agreement, and I think this one holds a strong stance is some people have thought that born of water that Jesus talks about here means to receive the cleansing water prophesied in Ezekiel 36 as part of the new covenant that God makes. So it'll be on the screen and I'm going to read it. This is Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28. This is God speaking. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And this was a promise God was making of the new covenant to his people that he would send this cleansing to them. And this is something that Nicodemus would have studied his whole life. He would have studied the Old Testament every day. He could probably quote all of it from memory to you. So I think when Jesus makes an allusion to water, it's definitely rooted in the Old Testament and Nicodemus would start kind of clicking a few things and being like, oh, okay, I remember, I remember God's promise talking about cleansing and the water cleansing me. But whichever water Jesus may have meant here, the truth and the idea is still the same. First, we must be born of water and of spirit. We must be cleansed and reborn of the spirit of God. And it is not something that we can do on our own. That's what Jesus is, is really letting Nicodemus know. Like you have to know that this is not something you can do by physical means. It is only done by God. So Jesus is starting to challenge everything Nicodemus would have believed. Nicodemus probably would have believed he would have been saved by his actions or human efforts, simply by his birth. Being born a Jew in the time, a lot of them as descendants of Abraham, that's what we mean when we talk about Jewish people group, that they were descendants of Abraham. They thought that God's promise of restoration and salvation was only for them. It was taught commonly among the Jews at the time that since they were descendants from Abraham, that they were automatically guaranteed a place in heaven. So Nicodemus probably thought, well, I'm guaranteed a space in heaven because simply I was born into this religion. I'm a descendant of Abraham, so I'm good. Like that part, I checked out. I don't have to worry about it. And Nicodemus probably also thought he was saved by his holy living, by upholding the law and the different traditions that they had created. He would have, he would have upheld it to the T. So he's probably thinking, I'm born Jewish. I do all the things that Jewish people are supposed to do. So I'm good. I'm, I'm gonna make it to heaven by what I have done. He thought he was saved by his physical means and by his own actions. But Jesus, in his description of new birth, recalls a familiar theme from the Old Testament that was promised in the new covenant with his people. We can see it in Deuteronomy 30, Jeremiah 23, 31, and 32, Ezekiel 11, 36, and 37. It's written multiple times in the Old Testament. And again, Nicodemus would know these deeply. These passages essentially made three, pro two, three promises in the new covenant. So the first one would be the gathering of Israel. 
The second is the cleansing and spiritual transformation of God's people. And the third promise was the reign of the Messiah over Israel and the whole world. Those were the three promises in the new covenant that the Jewish people were looking to and expecting to happen or thought had happened. So in Jesus's day, when Jesus was there and Nicodemus was there, the common teaching among the Jewish people was that the first two parts of the new covenant had already happened. They saw Israel gathered. They saw Israel, the nation brought back together, at least in part after the Babylonian exile. So they're like, okay, check that part's happened. We've been gathered back, sort of, we're still kind of scattered, but we've been gathered. And they saw what they would call a spiritual movement, like in the Pharisees that they were expecting and a cleansing, they would call that the appointment of these Pharisees and Sadducees and, and the leading of the spiritual movement there. They're like, okay, we have this aspect too. And so now all they're looking for is this ruling, reigning Messiah to come, to rule over the whole world. And that's why Jesus's statement about new birth was so strange to Nicodemus. He thought the Jewish people were there. They were only expecting the Messiah to return and just basically turn, like just destroy it all and rule over it all, to conquer nations and to make them at the top and to be this ruling authority that they were looking for. But Jesus takes these words that they would be so familiar with and flips it completely upside down. He's like, you are missing the point. And that's often me with scripture. I read it and I interpret in a way that benefits me and makes me think I'm good. And Jesus is like, no, you're missing the point today. And that's why the Jewish leaders of the time didn't like Jesus because he's like, no, you don't actually have it because it's not by your physical birth that you are saved. He says it's by being born of water and of spirit and not by your own doing. He changes the conversation about what we can do by human effort and about what only can be accomplished in Jesus, our savior. Jesus is trying to show that this is what's promised in the Old Testament and that they are missing it at the time and that all of it was pointing to his triumphant coming. He's connecting these Old Testament promises and events with the promised coming of Jesus. He's trying to illustrate to Nicodemus the beauty and the story of scripture and how it all points to the Messiah. And so he's like, okay, Nicodemus, you still, you still don't get it. Maybe in the room, he's like, I, I still, I kind of don't understand. He's like, all right, if you don't understand, I'm gonna give you another illustration from the Old Testament. And this one, this one clicks. It helped click with me. It's a really nice picture of, of what Jesus does and why he came. So Jesus then states, we'll read in verses 13 through 17. He says, no one has ever gone to heaven in return, Jesus says, but the son of man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's who Jesus says he is. If you're paying attention, that's where we get our line for today. Jesus is savior. He says that he came not to judge, but to save the world. 
But this picture that he gives of this bronze snake in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with the story, I'm gonna kind of explain it quickly. And if you want, it's in Numbers 21. If you wanna go read it today or this week, it's in Numbers chapter 21. So essentially what's happening in this time with the Israelites wandering in the desert is the Israelites in the desert complaining. The usual, right? Like whenever you read that kind of scripture, that's kind of what happens, right? Like, oh yeah, they're complaining again in the desert. What else is new? So picture Israelites, desert, complaining, always. And so, and then it starts to say, they start to speak against God. They start questioning his authority and questioning why they're following Moses and why they're following God. And they're even complaining about the very bread that God is raining from heaven for them. They're like, oh, we're so tired of this bread that you're miraculously supplying. I want something else. I'm so sick. It was better being a slave in Egypt. That's ridiculous, right? But sometimes I find myself there. You can identify with that too, maybe. So they're complaining and they're speaking against God. And God said, okay, you want that? Here's some snakes. He's like, here's some punishment for your sin because you are speaking against me. You are against me. And he said, so here's some poisonous snakes. So God sends these poisonous snakes into the camp of the Israelites. And like snakes do, why I'm deathly terrified of them is they bite you. And like poisonous ones kill you. Um, that's why no one should ever have pet snakes. Uh, <laughs> but so these snakes start biting people and they're dying and the Israelites start freaking out. And they're like, what have we done? because they start to realize, okay, we've done something to cause this and they realize their sin. And it's not that they go to God and say, make the snakes go away. They go to God and they repent. And they say, God, we are sinful. We spoke against you. We repent. We are sorry. Father, help us. We are in our sin and we need deliverance. So God tells Moses to make a replica of these snakes. He said, make, make a snake out of metal. And Moses makes a bronze snake. And he says, attach it to a big pole and put it in the middle of the camp. And if you were to be bit by a snake and you're gonna die because you're bit by a poisonous snake, all you have to do is to look to the lifted snake and you will be healed. And so Moses makes the bronze snake, puts it on the pole. And again and again, the Israelites are saved by simply looking up at what God had done to save them. So Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to connect the dots here. Jesus, just as the snake was lifted up so that all those who look will be healed and delivered from sin, Jesus says, so the son of man must be lifted on the cross as the payment for our sins and lifted and ascended to heaven so that everyone in verse 15 who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus is looking at him saying like, don't you get it? You can't save yourself just like with these evil snakes, these poisonous snakes, you are in your own sin. You have brought sin and death and hurt and pain into your own life and there is no healing from it unless you look upon the son of man lifted high as your salvation and you have faith in what he has done and believe in him. Because of our sin, just like the Israelites with the snakes, we are destined for death. And the beauty, oh my gosh, the beauty, beauty of this scripture. 
one of the most quoted scriptures of all time, John 3, 16. Do not read this softly today. Do not glaze over it. Pay attention and take this truth in. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. While you and I were in our sin, he gave so that all who believe in him will not perish, will not have death and pain brought upon them by their sin and resting in that, but will have deliverance and eternal life in the son of man, in the new life that he offers. I don't know about you, but I could read John 3.16 all day and find comfort in the fact that it is not by my own deliverance that I am freed from the death that my own sin has brought me. Instead, it is the beauty of what Jesus has done and he continues in verse 17, which is I think an equally as beautiful scripture that should be quoted all the time with 316. And he says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Does anyone want to say amen after that? Anyone? No one? Amen? That's the, that's the good news of Jesus Christ, church. If we can't get excited about what God has done in our lives, what he has done for us, that he gave his son for us so that we will not face judgment, but we will face salvation in him. Let that fill your spirit this morning. That is encouragement to you as those who have followed Jesus and encouragement to you, to those who have not followed Jesus, that it is just as much for you. This is what we call the gospel, the good news. Jesus was sent not to judge, but to save. And praise the Lord that he did because I would still be hanging around a bunch of snakes biting and killing me. Jesus tells Nicodemus that he's not just a good teacher, but a savior of the world. Nicodemus simply wanted a good teaching or advice or something to live by. And Jesus said, no, you need me, not your good works. We oftentimes like Nicodemus, I'm speaking for myself, so don't feel like I'm speaking for you. Maybe you can identify with me, but me oftentimes like Nicodemus, I can approach Jesus as just a good teacher. I approach him with, to give me some good news, maybe some good words to make me feel better for good advice to maybe tell me a better way to live. And I approach him simply only as a good teacher. I look to him to give me the answer to some of my problems. And Jesus looks at me and says, I am the answer. I am the answer. I am your savior. The problem is that we are broken and sinful and we are in need, desperate, desperate need of saving. And Jesus looks at us and says, I am your solution. I am the savior. You must be born again. He was sent so that you and I might have new life. And he reminds us here that we cannot do this on our own. And we cannot earn this, that I cannot do the birth of the spirit by myself. I cannot cleanse myself. 
And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and tells us, he said, I did not come to just be a good teacher. I came to be a savior for the world. We have to stop looking for a fix to our problems or for simple good advice. We must see Jesus as the savior of our life. We must receive his love and his new life. Jesus is not only our good teacher, he does give good teachings and words, but he is our savior and in him we find new life. And it is for anyone and everyone who believes in him. You don't have to be perfect or work hard enough for this to apply to you. I promise you, you are not too far from him. You are not worse than me. We are all in the same boat together. For this is how God loved the world. John 3, 16. He gave his son for you. This is his great love, church. He loves you and sent his son for you. It's so hard for me to grasp the deepness of that love because I can only express like a certain level of love. But I challenge us this morning to let that just truly wash over you. Be, Lord, what does it mean that you love the whole world, that you love me, that you gave yourself for me, that you were raised up on the cross so that I might look to you and have new life? Lord, help me understand. And this is what he's trying to help Nicodemus understand. And it's what he's trying to help you and me understand today in this scripture. I want to kind of wrap the whole thing and kind of like, if I'm imagining like packing a present, like packing in this truth, this truth, and then like wrapping it all with some nice understanding, concise illustration for us. I want you to remember the good news of Jesus is for you today, wherever you are. You are not too far from him. You are not too sinful. Just because you messed up before you got here does not mean you do not deserve his saving grace less than someone else. God so loved the world. You are part of the world. He is our savior. And the only way is through Jesus. Unless we are born of water and of spirit, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's what it says in verse three. And I read this really nice illustration this week that just like really like, like put it into place for like what it means to be born into the kingdom of God and to have this citizenship. So let's get an idea. So if I started a new nation today in this room, I say, I'm starting the nation of Dylan and I'm gonna set some ground rules for it, okay? Not everyone can be in it. It's my nation. I get to decide. So, all right, I start this nation of Dylan, regardless of if anyone wanted it or not, I started it. Nation of Dylan. I had my own island, an island off of Montreal, and it was known that it's nation of Dylan. And I passed a law that said no one could live in my nation except those that were born there. They had to be physically born in that place to belong to that nation. And say someone came along, say Graham came along and he was like, I wanna, I wanna be a part of your nation. I wanna have citizenship. I would look at him and I would say, it wouldn't matter 
It wouldn't matter if you took a name common in the nation. Even if you took my name, if you said, I'm gonna rename, I'm gonna be Dylan now and I'm gonna join your nation. I'd say, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter if you spoke my weird made up language, whatever I created, it wouldn't matter. If you learned it, Graham, wouldn't matter. (laughs) It wouldn't matter if you observed some of the customs that I had for our nation. We played disc golf every Friday. So even if you did that, no, it doesn't matter, man. It wouldn't matter if you dressed like me, if you wore Crocs like me and you were weird like me. It wouldn't matter if you practiced some of the religious traditions that my nation practices. It wouldn't matter if your parents were born there, but you weren't. It wouldn't matter if your children were born there, but not you. It wouldn't matter if you had many friends that were a part of that nation. All that would matter would be if you were actually born there. And Jesus looks at us today and says, the only way into the kingdom of God is to be born again by the spirit. To be born into the kingdom of God, that's the only way. And he says it is offered freely to you today through Jesus. John three sixteen. it is the only way to heaven. And it is not because our friends or our family or people we know are Christian or because maybe we do some good things in our lives. We practice religion. We come to church. We try to be a good person. I put on this front. It doesn't matter if we fake it. All that matters is that we are born again by the spirit of God. It matters we are given new life And it is only through believing in Jesus and what he has done on the cross. That is the way to the nation that Jesus offers us to be a part of, to be born of the spirit, to be born into the kingdom of God. It is the only way. It's not about the customs or practices or language or good words you can bring and say, only matters is that believing in Jesus and what he has done on the cross. I encourage you today, church, as we close the message today, and I invite Emily to come back up and as we get back into worshiping through song, I encourage you today, church, stop trying to earn Jesus. Stop fighting to be this perfect Christian so that you can show up here on Sundays or in discipleship groups and you can be a person who's worthy of Jesus. He looks at you today and says, church, you are worthy of me because what I have done, what Jesus has done on the cross, you must be born again so there you can take rest and comfort and that I can't wash myself clean. I can't be good enough church, but Christ calls you good enough. He brings you into his family and says, you are clean and new. Rest in what Jesus has done for you. Jesus is our savior. If you wanna know more about this this morning, if you've never heard this truth before, or maybe God's pressing on your spirit and you wanna know more, or maybe you wanna give your life to Jesus, you wanna believe and put faith in Jesus, please, please, please come talk to us. It is just as much for you today. Do not wait. He is your savior just as much as he is mine. John 3, 16, for God so loved church. Let's rest in his love this morning. Not weighing ourselves out by trying to earn it or be good enough and rest 
And John 3, 16 today, he gave for God so loved that he gave. We're about to sing a song that I love so much. It's called Build My Life. And it's, it's about being rooted and found in what Jesus has done. And I think it's so perfect. I don't know if you knew what we were preaching about today, but I'm telling you, it leads perfectly in to what we taught this morning and what we learned from scripture, that I will build my life on nothing else, only on Jesus. So as we worship this morning, I challenge you to respond in song, to sing in worship, respond in prayer and worship into the Lord and say, Lord, I haven't been building my foundation in you. I've been building it in what I can do only. And just give that to him this morning, bring it to him, be in prayer, being responsive to the spirit as we worship him through song this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that John 3.16 never gets old. That your spirit offers us new life by what Jesus has done on the cross, that we can be born of water and spirit in you. God, thank you for loving the world. Thank you for loving me as part of the world and for offering new life to me for salvation. God, will we rest in that? Will we build our foundation on you and what you have done alone and be able to take a breath out because it is by your grace I am saved, not Dylan's. God, thank you for this truth. Would it wash over us this morning? I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world. 